0: We prioritize you know, journalists of color, we prioritize the voices of journalists of color, both at the staff reporter level and in terms of leadership, because I think another key piece of this is, it's all well and good if you have journalists of color who are writing the stories, but if you have an editor over their head who's going to take out some of the very important context that they might add, or some of the things that might come from their own lived experience and expertise, that's just as big a problem as having a fully homogenous newsroom.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Mission Forward podcast, where each week we bring you a thought-provoking and perspective-shifting conversation on the world around us. This season, we're looking deeply at the role that communications and communicators play in helping us make sense of the world. I'm Carrie Fox, your host and CEO of Mission Partners, a social impact communications firm and certified B Corporation, We have such a special guest with us today, someone who is literally working on the ground floor of rethinking and rewriting the role that media plays in society and specifically the role that journalism plays. Ashton Lattimore is the editor in chief at Prism, an independent nonprofit newsroom led by journalists of color. PRISM formally launched in August 2020 and takes an important intersectional lens to reporting on issues such as electoral justice, racial justice, economic justice, gender justice, climate justice, and more. A former lawyer, an accomplished writer, and a longtime editor, Ashton's work focuses on this intersection of race, culture, and law, and we are so thrilled to have her with us today. Ashton, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Carrie. I'm excited to be here with you today. We just gave a
1: little bit of an overview on who you are, but I'd love to hear it from you. Tell us what brought you on this journey to become editor-in-chief of PRISM.
0: Sure. So I, um, I've i been a journalist for uh, quite a while. So I actually started off as a journalist when I was in college um, and ultimately stepped off that path for a little while to, to become a lawyer um, The trajectory um, kind of mirrors the trajectory of of the country, I would think. I kind of came into adulthood during the Obama era, so things seemed like we understood that not everything was right with the world, but I think a lot of us kind of naively thought we were on a decent trajectory, Um, and, and that's kind of the period when I was off in law, just kind of doing... Corporate lawyer stuff, you know, just just working um within that field and not doing especially anything particularly social justice related. Um, and then for a lot of reasons, um, personally and kind of nationally, 2016 was a shock to the system. Um, you know, at the the national level, we had that election. Um, and when that election happened. I was actually five months pregnant um, when that occurred um, and suddenly found myself on the verge of bringing a new Black child into a very different world than the one that I thought perhaps I was bringing him into. Um, And and over the course of that election and kind of the things that unfolded in the years immediately after, I saw a lot of the ways that media was complicit in the failure, um, the many, many failures that kind of led up to the election of someone who um, was offensive to a lot of different kind of norms and ideas of justice. Um, but also, like as we saw, increasingly seemed fundamentally opposed to like the very idea of democracy, um, and the way that um, the media kind of played a role in um, normalizing that, um, in kind of clearing a path for that, and treating that um, and all of the kind of um, messages and ideas that made space for that election, treating them as equivalent to things on the other side that perhaps were not equivalent. So as that kind of presidency was unfolding and things were kind of taking a, a, a fairly ugly turn nationally um, and seeing kind of strife being ascendant in a way that it hadn't felt before, at least in my adult life, um, I started to feel very sidelined. Um, like I said, I was, you know, at, at kind of large corporate law firms and didn't feel like what I was doing was really contributing to making the world any better. Um, and that didn't feel so good for me anymore. So so I felt myself kind of called to return um, to journalism because I understood the power um, both for good and for ill of the message and the messengers. Um, and I wanted to get back into that. So that's kind of how I found my way eventually to start freelancing and exercising my voice a little more um, and then stumbled upon this amazing opportunity, um, <laughs> To, to kind of help build prism from the ground floor, um, a newsroom that's like centered in communities of color um, who have been some of the folks most harmed by the political turns that have, have happened in the last, you know, four or six years. Uh, so, so it was really kind of an irresistible opportunity. So I, I leapt at it.
1: Ashton, you and I have talked about this a little bit before on the need to have more... Uh, Black-led organizations in journalism, more organizations that are led by journalists of color, because the reality is so much of the narrative is lost when it's told from one perspective, often by default a white perspective. The person who holds the pen holds the power, right, in terms of how that narrative is shaped. But the other flip of this is that if there's not even an opportunity for the journalists of color to be holding the pen— then you can't rewrite that narrative. You can't shift the perspective or or widen the gap. So talk to me a little bit about what is the reality as we think about today's journalism industry.
0: I know we're seeing some good shifts, but we're not where we need to be, right? No, we're not yet where we need to be. Um, but as you said, I think we are seeing a lot of really wonderful shifts. Um, there are so many uh, Black-led and other POC-led outlets that are have, have either recently launched or in the process of launching. So it really feels like PRISM has come into what's increasingly an ecosystem of, of other outlets that are really community-centered, that, that treat communities of color as the center of the American story, which I think is what PRISM does differently. So we're not kind of a fringe or separate interest, we see ourselves as the center of of the country, the center of our our own lives and experiences, certainly, um, and report really from that lens. So rather than kind of taking on the stories of the day as a horse race about who's winning the messaging race in Washington or or what's happening to someone's reelection prospects, we're really looking at uh, social justice and policy in terms of how they impact People, how they impact human lives, um, and and coming at that with some conviction, um, you know, with an unabashed orientation toward democracy, toward justice, we think those things are good. Um, and I think that journalists of color often have been the ones at the front lines who are willing to say that uh, and sometimes face accusations, you know, around bias or, or not being impartial because we're willing to say some things are good, some things are very bad. Um, here are the ways that, that these issues are affecting our communities. Um, and here's a way that we think the world can be made better. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a way you go about determining what kinds of issues or stories you're going to take on in any given moment to address some of those gaps that maybe you're seeing.
0: Part of it is understanding what are some of the key forces that are animating a lot of the major conflicts that we're seeing right now. So, there's the attack on democracy, there's sort of the culture war piece of things, which is manifesting um, in a few different ways. It's manifesting as a war on um, really kind of any kind of anti racist education, and also manifesting as, as um, increasing affronts to women's rights, LGBTQ rights, um, and also the climate crisis. We see those as kind of the, the largest forces animating um, the big issues that we're seeing in the news today with always this this through line of of kind of white supremacy that kind of animates them all in various different ways. So coming at all of our stories from an understanding that This is a country that is deeply in crisis and that's showing up in real human lives um, in ways that matter, but that people on the ground are showing up for themselves and showing up for each other. So yes, we're in crisis, but there are people who are in motion and trying to get other folks in motion to move us toward a better version of what this country can be. We come at our stories from the perspective that we want to offer a deeper understanding of what's wrong, but we also are really invested in offering a path forward.
1: Give us an example of a story that you've worked on recently that that maybe reinforces the approach you take to how you report on an
0: issue. A really strong example of this would be some of the immigration stories that we've done recently. So we, we spent a lot of time, um, especially earlier this summer, um, focused on um, refugee resettlement um, and kind of the crisis that's unfolding um, in that space. So we initially kind of set out to just kind of explore the topic a bit more and expose people more to understandings of how refugee resettlement is experienced by refugees themselves um, and kind of what's happening at a policy level. But as we were undertaking that reporting, we saw this crisis explode uh, in, you know, with, with Afghanistan, that war winding down um, and an influx of more folks um, as refugees coming from there, and then more recently, um, more Haitian refugees coming in. So we've taken a look at that, um, really deeply offered like a very deep understanding of what refugee resettlement looks like like the mechanics of it. Um, so an explainer is, is kind of the centerpiece of, of what that series looked like, but apart from the mechanics of it really diving deep, um, with some reporting um, led by folks who themselves are are resettled refugees, um, amplifying their voices about what needs to change um, within those resettlement programs, um, what's working within those resettlement programs, and the ways that communities kind of encircle um, new arrivals to the country. And then as the news cycle has unfolded about those issues, really shining a light on what's happening right now on the ground um, with refugee and immigrant communities.
1: I really want to reinforce that because that to me feels like such an important piece of storytelling, and and perhaps the the first reminder of what the default process is versus the opportunity that exists in journalism to have journalism be community led. And I know you all have a fellows program. You're thinking differently about how the storyteller, how the journalist is um, not just having access to a community, but is in, embedded in the community, and so. How do you, you know, how have you built that newsroom and how are you continuing to cultivate that newsroom?
0: Uh, We built it in a couple of ways that I'm really excited about. One of them is just that we have kind of an open call for, for freelance folks to, um, to pitch us stories. Um, and we also routinely reach out to different community led organizations to seek out their commentary on the news as it's unfolding. And, um, by this point, I think we've published more than a hundred plus voices, which are 99%, um, you know, black, indigenous and people of color, many of them community leaders, um, or just folks in community who are, who are doing the work or sharing their experiences, but, but just lifting up that, kind of volume of different voices um, has been a really exciting opportunity for us to kind of um, reach into many different communities around the country and create a pathway for people to share experiences at kind of the national level. Um, I think another way that we've done that, as you mentioned, is through our, our senior fellows program, which um, brings into our ecosystem community leaders who are, are doing the work at really the highest levels um, on things like electoral justice, criminal justice, abolition and reform, uh, you know, uh, justice, gender justice, um, bringing those folks in and helping, having them help to shape our coverage. So giving us a deeper understanding within the newsroom, um, sitting with us and talking about what's going on um, in the work and helping us to kind of shape our stories around what really matters and what's actually happening. And apart from that, just within our newsroom, we prioritize, you know, journalists of color. We prioritize the voices of journalists of color, um, both at the staff reporter level um, and in terms of leadership, because I think another key piece of this is it's all well and good if you have journalists of color who are writing the stories, but if you have an editor over their head who's going to take out some of the very important context that they might add, um, or some of the things that might come from their own lived experience and expertise, uh, that's just as big a problem as having a fully homogenous newsroom. So I think um, something that we really value is having people of color in positions of power all throughout the newsroom to not only tell the story themselves, but shape what the story ultimately looks like by the time it's published.
1: That's incredibly important And I think a good reminder for folks to think about the news that they consume, how much have they ever spent time thinking about the makeup of that newsroom and how it might in fact impact the news that they are receiving and the perspective that they are receiving. I would love to pause here for a minute because at the top, we talked about PRISM as an independent nonprofit newsroom. That may not still make a lot of sense to folks. What do you mean a nonprofit newsroom? What do you mean an independent newsroom? Talk about that. Why Why is it so important, in fact, that PRISM is a nonprofit independent newsroom?
0: The independence piece of it is really key. Um, and I think there's a really critical difference between the word independent and a word like nonpartisan, which is a word that we kind of deliberately did not use um, We have a point of view, and we're not beholden to any particular forces who are going to tell us that that point of view is okay to express or not okay to express. So that sense of independence gives us the ability to be really fearless, frankly, in our reporting, um, in holding power structures to account, holding the government to account, uh, holding big corporations to account, you know, in our workers' rights coverage. That independence is really what gives us the ability to, um, to do that. And as far as being a nonprofit, um, we see the work that we're doing as, as a social good. So that, that felt like a model that was appropriate for us. And it also kind of frees us up from kind of this profit-driven idea to, to focus more on sustainability. What are the ways that we can make our journalism valuable to the communities that we're aiming to serve um, in such a way that they're willing to invest in us, which is ultimately where we're headed.
1: I want to go back and explore something a little more deeply with you, Ashton, something that we're taking on this season around some of the communications norms that show up in Western society. And I'm thinking primarily through an ableist lens in this moment and how by default, many of us deliver communications and content in a way that assumes everyone can access it. When, as we know, that's not the case, right? So From your point of view, as PRISM has been so intentional, what norms of communications do you abide by or consider when you are creating content? You know, what norms are you challenging and and almost rewriting in your workplace?
0: I think one of the things that we have started to be even more thoughtful about um, in the last kind of year is understanding that not everyone in our readership, um, exists within the same spaces, um, particularly within social justice spaces, but wanting to invite more folks in. So being careful about not assuming knowledge of acronyms or, or certain terms, um, has been something that we've been really, really intentional about because we just want to make sure that we are writing in a way that's, um, open to everyone and and invites folks to learn more um, rather than kind of just just talking to a group of folks who may be the most informed. That's something we've been thinking about a good deal more. But as far as kind of norms, I think another one that we have really been been thinking about very deeply is this idea of who is the center. And this is both kind of narrative and, and norm, but the, the way that a story is told, the perspective that the story is told from any story that you write necessarily is going to have a protagonist so so kind of being very careful about who we assume is the protagonist of a story about abortion who is the protagonist of a story about police violence because if you treat the police as the protagonist you get a very different story than if you treat it as the community who's been affected by it or the person who's been subject to violence so really understanding where we put our lens and not defaulting to the norm of treating power as the protagonist treating an elected official as the most important person in a story about what's happening in Congress um, or what's happening, you know, with a particular bill, not treating maybe the doctors or treating uh, the legislature as the important people in a story about abortion, but, you know, what's happening to the women themselves who are seeking these procedures or the women themselves and other folks who are trying to help others get access when there's no access available. Um, It really, really impacts what ultimately gets published, who you decide is the center of your story. And I think some of the the journalistic norms that have existed um, have been really harmful in terms of narrowing who people see as important um, and and significant enough to report from their point of view.
1: So that is so interesting to me because it speaks to the role of communicators across all platforms, whether they are journalists by, uh, by trade or not. But if we think about folks who are listening to this are representing communications directors, development directors from nonprofits and foundations, organizations, um, and coalitions, you know, a variety of people who are working to use communications as their tool to advance social change. And everything that you've just shared is such an important reminder and very specific skill to be thinking about of, are you in your communication, uh, Thinking specifically about who is the main character? Who's the protagonist? What bias might you by, might you be naturally bringing into that to kind of check the bias before you release that content? If you're putting a fundraising appeal together, who's at the center of that story? And how have they been consulted in the development of the story? We use this phrase at Mission Partners that we did not coin, but have seen it many times before, design for the margins. If you design not just for the person that you know gets your work and is on the inside track of your work, but for the folks who really may have very limited view and understanding and knowledge of the issue, you're more likely to be able to communicate.
0: To them. Is that correct? I think that sounds exactly right. Designing your work, um, certainly staying true to what your core messages are, but trying to shape them to bring as many folks in as you can, um, not pursuing that without conviction, but doing so um, just in a way that's accessible. It's, I think that's a word that you use accessibility. Um, and that can be um, that's something that you can kind of enact across many different axes. Um, and I think it matters, especially if you're trying to do the work of, of social good. Uh, you kind of need coalition building. And something to be clear about, this doesn't necessarily mean orienting your work toward folks who you know are are viscerally opposed to everything that you're talking about, because I think that's another norm um, that has has brought about some toxic results um, in many halls of, of journalism, kind of treating people who are openly and unabashedly racist or fundamentally opposed to the idea of democracy as people we should be trying to reach. Um, That's not kind of what our aim is at PRISM. I'm talking more about coalition building between different parts of um, communities of color who may not typically be in conversation with each other, but if we approach our messaging in a way that's accessible, can be put into conversation with each other that can result in some really powerful, powerful action.
1: The best by default is always to build the bridge, right? Not to tear it down. Um, all right, my last question for you, because we are almost at time already. What are you working on at PRISM that gets you really excited, and what should we be looking out for?
0: So a couple of things. Um, we have a fantastic collaboration that's just starting up um, with Workday Minnesota, uh, which is an outlet based in um, Minneapolis, um, focused on workers' rights. So increasingly, the two of us, our outlets are going to have a lot more shared stories on workers' rights, workers' organizing, Um out of the Midwest, um, especially centered on immigrant workers. Um, so that's something that folks can look out for, um, and further into the future as redistricting unfolds around the country, um, after the the census has been completed and now, um, you know, district maps are being redrawn. Um, Prism's working on a series with the support of the Solutions Journalism Network um, to explore and explain um, the fight against racial and partisan gerrymandering, um, both within court, with independent redistricting commissions, um, really taking a deep dive into what solutions have worked and are working and which ones are maybe falling short of what our expectations were um, in this really important kind of push for representation that's fair. So cool. Well, I am thrilled about that on a lot of levels.
1: Including uh, we had Tina Rosenberg on last season to talk about solutions journalism and the importance of asset framing. And um, so we will we'll make sure we'll we'll pull that one back up, too. So no pay, no paywalls. Right. Access to all of your content. And um, where do folks go to access that content?
0: People can go to www.prismreports.org um, to access all of our content. And as you said, there's no paywall. We welcome um, donations. We welcome you know people to sign up as members, um, sign up for our newsletters, and, and follow us you know on all social media. But no paywall. Um, and and our content is not only free for readers to consume, but for any news outlets who feel like there's a gap in their own coverage, it's free to republish. Um, just across the board.
1: And we will post those um, links in the chat in the show notes too, so folks can see them. Ashton, you and your team are doing such incredible work. Thank you for taking a few minutes away to connect with us today. And um, thanks for everything you're doing. We look forward to continuing to support you. Thank you. Mission Forward is produced with support of Nimra Haroon and the Mission Partners team in association with True Story FM. Engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Ian Post and Josh Leake. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you will consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing you can do to support Mission Forward is simply to share this show with a friend or colleague. Thanks for your support. We'll see you next time.